What's happening, Far Far Away family? Welcome to Star Wars Audio Archive. So how's everyone doing today? I hope all is well on your side of the galaxy. Nothing really new out here on the Outer Rim. Corruption is at an all-time high, and there's a new threat to the galaxy. Same old stuff. First things first, happy Father's Day to all of the fathers in our galaxy. Star Wars wouldn't be the same without you. And happy Juneteenth. Juneteenth is now an official holiday, something that's long overdue. And happy birthday to my wonderful wife. She has been my foundation for a lot of years, and I don't know how she does it, because I'm a handful. Now that we got that out of the way, I need to fill you in on what happened with my medical stuff last week. So as you know from the episode last week and some previous episodes, I've had another MRI done on Monday. Then I went to the neurologist on Wednesday. Now let me give you a little refresher on what's going on. In February, I had an MRI done, which found two spots on my brain and two on my spinal cord, which indicates that I might have multiple sclerosis. And after a crap ton of tests and an MRI on Monday of last week, they showed that I have five spots on my brain and three on my spinal cord now. I do in fact have MS. So they got me on some medications that should slow down the progression of the disease. There is no cure. I mean, they don't even know what causes it. For some odd reason, my immune system just started attacking my nerves. And that's where things stand right now. At this point, I have no plans to stop voicing this show, and I will be the voice of Star Wars RDR archives for as long as I can keep doing it. Now on to a more positive topic. A new Star Wars book written by Adam Christopher, where we get a more in-depth reveal of who Ray's parents were. Shadow of the Sith gives us that story. I want you to think back to a joyous era of Star Wars fandom. Follows the sequel trilogy opener of Force Awakens. Everybody was wondering about the identity of Rey's parents and what Luke Skywalker had been up to since the original trilogy. Well, we had a chance to review this book and those questions were all answered. It's the deep dive I've wanted since 2015, taking place 17 years after the return of the Jedi and 13 years prior to The Force Awakens. We are introduced to Rey's parents as they flee with their young daughter. The couple were seen briefly in a flashback in Rise of Skywalker, but this is their first major appearance. Their names are revealed almost immediately in this book, but I won't spoil their names, especially since Adam describes them so well. The novel offers us all the answers about Rey's parents after our brief time with them in The Rise of Skywalker, plus some glimmer of hope from Luke Skywalker, whose efforts to train the next generation of Jedi Knights is clouded by a vision of a sinister presence at the edge of the galaxy. This novel presents the original trilogy hero in his glorious prime, exactly what us fans have always wanted to know. Now this is a shorter book at 496 pages and loses steam a few times with too much jumping between characters. But despite the minor issues, Adam explores aspects of the movies very clearly, tying up some loose ends and adding an emotional renaissance while opening up a bunch of exciting new story possibilities. After more than half a decade, the mystery of Ray parents is finally solved. And I really like the book. By no means was it my favorite Star Wars book, but it offered a great deal of explanation in a time that we didn't know much about. This book is set to be released in about a week. It comes out on the 28th of this month. Okay, so now we should get back to what we all came to hear, Brotherhood. Because when we left off last week, we had just got some information about Anakin and Obi-Wan and all the things that are going on in the beginning of the Clone Wars. So let's see what's happening now. But first, we gotta drop that intro. We would be honored if you would join us. Anakin Skywalker. Anakin Skywalker stood as he always did, feet planted slightly wider than his hips in a balanced stance 
arms behind him with his hands clasped at the small of his back. Hand, actually. One of his limbs remained, his organic arm, part of the flesh and blood born of Shmi Skywalker and raised under the unflinching desert suns of Tatooine. The other hand was metal and wire and sensors, a synthetic extension that moved nearly but not quite the way he intended. Not perfect yet, but he was getting better at it. And though the textures of the mechanical replacement were so unnatural that he covered it with a glove, his wife never treated its touch as anything but his own, at least in the short time they were able to be together following his duel with Count Dooku. His wife, where was she right now? Senator Padme Amidala, always meeting with people or talking with people or talking about people. She'd returned to Coruscant and was likely heading to the Senate District, a single beacon of hope dashing somewhere through this massive structure of a planet. Anakin closed his eyes while Jedi Master Mace Windu continued to talk to the assembled, the latest group of recently promoted Jedi Knights. For a thousand generations, the Jedi had their traditions of trials and ceremony, of ascending rank and recognizing achievement. But that was before Geonosis, before the Clone Wars started, before an oath to be peacekeepers somehow evolved overnight into roles as soldiers and commanders, an overlap the clones themselves couldn't quite comprehend leading to the informal title of General on the battlefield. Anakin had always imagined his knighting to be a significant life milestone, a sea change in his heart and mind. Enough time had passed since the official transition that his one short hair had started to grow out, and now this ceremony felt more like a procedural step, a footnote to go along with the bigger issues facing the galaxy. This gathering, filled with ceremony in the shadow of the Jedi Temple training courtyard, seemed simply unimportant. So much so that an urge tugged at Anakin to go, to fast forward the cadence of the galaxy itself, so he could finally reunite with his wife tonight. He had, after all, a keepsake to deliver within the small pouch buckled to his belt. Master Windu walked the perimeter of the courtyard under the shadow of the great tree, Anakin standing with the rest of the new Jedi Knights, while behind them, current Padawans observed. To his left, Durbin Wen heard, the Thalothian notable throughout training for her twin Shoto lightsabers. To his right, Kier Stenwit, Olana Chian, and several others. Across the courtyard stood their mentors, at least the ones available, Morag Bomo, a Keldor with black tunic and blue-tinted goggles, Siri Tachi, Madoc Risto, and more. And of course, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the newest member of the Jedi Council. Sort of. After the loss of Coleman Trabor at Geonosis, various Jedi rotated into his council position. No one would say if this method was permanent, or if the rotations were simply temporary assignments, something born out of the necessity given the push and pull of the war. 
Either way, the Council had recently picked Obi-Wan for a rotation. In turn, Obi-Wan approached every task with his usual seriousness, even treating this glorified speech like a war decision. Anakin didn't need the Force to feel the weight of his former master's stare. Behind his back, Anakin's fingers balled into fists. The synthnet neural interface of the mechno arm reacting the same way as his real hand did, and yet it didn't. Just as with his organic hand, the mechanical fingers pressed in frustration, but no emotion came from the gesture on that side. No tiny ripple through the force to yet again give away his feelings to Obi-Wan. It was merely a limb. Functional, even stronger than flesh and bone, but not a true part of him. Okay, let's stop right here. I think there's a couple of things that we need to discuss. First, how Anakin never went through the Jedi trials. Something that was never discussed in the Clone Wars animated series. I just thought he never got knighted. But this story gives us a more detail into what happened. The Padawans that were close to knighthood were fast-tracked to knights. Plus, it tells us more about his mechanical arm. Something that I always wondered about. We know this is Star Wars, and they are far more advanced than we are. But does his arm feel the same way as a real arm? It is robotic, so we know it's much stronger. But when he touches something, does it give the same sensation? And does it diminish his force abilities? Less living flesh, less metachlorians. And I think Mike does a great job of explaining it in this part. It also tells how Anakin feels about his new arm. And I so understand how he feels, for two reasons. First, we all seen it in The Revenge of the Sith. When Padme and him is lying in the bed, it is super creepy and ugly. And it is a constant reminder of how Dooku defeated him. So I completely understand why he keeps it covered up. I would be self-conscious of it too. Then we also learn of Obi-Wan Kenobi's push to master and his role in the Jedi Council. He is one of the masters that got to fill in on the council for Coleman Trabor that died on Geonosis. He is that dinosaur-looking Jedi that was shot by Jango Fett in the movie. But we all know how Obi-Wan is, and he took this position with the utmost diligence. Which, from the sounds of the story, Anakin doesn't seem to like it very much. And it causes him a bit of discomfort, as he squeezes his hands in a fist behind his back. And we find out that there is no ripple from the force from his prosthetic hand. But let's find out what else happens in this part. You are Jedi Knights. Master Windu's voice boomed out as he paced back and forth as if to call any waning attention back to his intimidating form. Responsibility. Peace. Discipline. You are the examples the galaxy looks to. Your successes will carry through the Republic and beyond, as will your mistakes. Your choices will matter. Helping the Jedi maintain Ula during a time of discord. The Master paused. His lips pursed in thought. Anakin figured Mace had given a form of the speech several times now since Geonosis, but perhaps this time he tried his hand at improvisation. The younglings look up to you. Your choices matter to them, and some of you will receive Padawans of your own. Your choices. Mace enunciated each word with heightened diction. Will matter to them as well. The thought caused Anakin's lip to curl up ever so slightly. A Padawan? For him? That sounded like the worst thing in the galaxy. And as if on cue, his eyes caught Obi-Wan looking directly at him. Of course, Obi-Wan saw his smirk. 
Anakin forced his expression back to neutral, then adjusted his posture, pushing his chest out and chin up to uphold Jedi formality. If he had been speaking, his voice would have reverted to the formal monotone he always used around Elder Jedi. We are at war. This is unprecedented within our lifetimes, Mace continued. And you are among the first to reach knighthood during this time of war. Remember that war is like a fire across the galaxy. It spreads and it consumes. We must never waver in the face of that fire. We are keepers of the peace. We are Jedi. The Republic needs us more than ever, which means our faith in the Force, our connection to the Force, must never waver. Though Mesa's face remained stoic and cold, Anakin detected the most unexpected shift coming from him. A single drop in the ocean of the Force. But it rippled outward, and while most probably didn't notice it, Anakin had always found his senses tuned into emotions at a far deeper level than others. Maybe because he actually let himself feel emotions. He reached into the Force for a further understanding of this strange deviation. Was that... concern? From Mace Windu? But the ripple passed, evaporating as would happen with any Jedi and their emotions. Anakin wanted to shake his head, figuring the moment was nothing more than an extension of Mace's constant disdain for his being there, his very existence. From the moment Qui-Gon Jinn presented Anakin to the debriefing after Geonosis, Master Windu always seemed irked by his presence, like he should not have even been there. One time, Anakin caught his look when fellow Padawans mentioned the Chosen One prophecy, in jest, of course, and the power of his instant glare felt more deadly than his renowned fighting technique. Anakin rubbed him the wrong way. He always had, and this was probably just another example. Anakin reminded himself to be bigger than that petty moment and push it aside. He took in a breath, and though his eyes tracked Mace during the rest of the speech, his mind wandered to his childhood. The ceremony played out as the opposite of those Tatooine nights when the desert chill would work its way through the cracks of their worn-down home. Rather than the cold, grand speech amid the Jedi Temple's exquisite designs, he thought of his mother, retelling a story for the umpteenth time in their small hovel the warmth of her hand enough to reassure his whole body and mind. The sun dragon lives inside a star, guarding everything it loves and treasures, she would say, as she had done so many times throughout his childhood. Generations of Tatooine dwellers heard the same story told with their own family variations, but his mother's version carried the most feeling. Appropriate for a myth about heart. It guarded them through the fire and flame, always keeping them safe. It could persevere through anything, even life within a star itself, because the sun dragon has the biggest heart in the galaxy. 
a furnace of flames powerful enough to protect everything and everyone it loves. The strongest heart, stronger than the heart of a star. She told Anakin the story dozens, possibly hundreds of times when he was growing up. Usually after he'd gotten into an argument with Kitster, or Watto was unnecessarily cruel, or one of his inventions exploded in his face. He could see her expression now, the way her smile brought lines to frame her mouth, the way her eyes never judged, the way stray hairs fell across her forehead after a long day. Those were the moments she'd always squeeze his hand and look him straight in the eye. You are the sun, dragon. You have the strongest heart. Always believe in it. Suddenly, the loving face of Shmi Skywalker disappeared from Anakin's mind's eye, replaced with the blistering cool of night, the flicker of flame, the cries of sand people. The smell of blood. All through these thoughts, he stood stoic alongside his fellow Jedi Knights, fighting to keep his feelings at bay. Another memory arrived with a surprise. One that draped calm over the open wounds of Tatooine. It echoed, a feeling as real as the moment it first happened. The strong hands of Qui-Gon Jinn on his shoulders, his soothing words whispering in his ears. It wasn't the first time he'd felt the presence of the fallen Jedi. Whether a flash of deep memory or one of the Force's great tricks in his favor, the presence always re-centered him in a way that Obi-Wan's lectures never did. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. It is your time to serve the galaxy and the Republic, May said. May the Force be with you. The group began clapping as Mace walked off without hesitation to take his place next to Master Yoda. Obi-Wan looked around the courtyard, then back at the other masters. They all exchanged glances, and Anakin caught a rare moment of confusion from his old teacher. Obi-Wan... Able to negotiate and improvise his way out of anything with grace and tact, now stood flustered because of an apparent scheduling problem. This is Obi-Wan Kenobi, Anakin thought with an amused sigh, frustrated by protocol and formalities in a time of war. He watched as Obi-Wan ran his fingers through his hair, thick locks flowing to his shoulders, having grown even longer since Geonosis. Well, it appears that our guests are a little late, he said, stepping in front of the group. By guests, he referred to Chancellor Palpatine, various senators, and a few of the clone commanders who happened to be on planet. A mixture of ceremony and duty for each of them. I'm certain they will be here soon. In the meantime, an electronic chirp rang through the space, 
something urgent enough for Yoda to wave his hand at the control panel for hollow communications at the far wall. Palpatine did appear, but as a hologram floating in the middle of the courtyard rather than in person. And instead of a two-minute cursory speech about duty, the Chancellor addressed Yoda and May specifically, not the gathered invitees. Master Yoda, Master Windu, we have urgent news that is sure to impact the war effort. Cato Mordia has been bombed. Yoda and Mace looked at each other, only their eyes moving. Obi-Wan had a slightly more animated response, at least for a seasoned Jedi. A small inhale, then a hand up to his beard. The others reacted within the range of those extremes, though the air itself shifted. Yoda tapped his stick. <clears throat> Padawans and younglings, this discussion they do not need. To further study, they should go. Obi-Wan moved over to gather, then direct them out, and Anakin took a reflexive step forward until he felt a hand on his shoulder. Obi-Wan spoke, his voice gentler than his usual redirections of Anakin's instincts. Not you. You are a Jedi Knight now, remember? He looked over to the Padawans, which started to leave. We are equals. He said with a slight and forced smile beneath his beard. Anakin wondered if the gesture's awkward nature was because of the dire circumstance about Cato Mordia, or if his old master simply hadn't gotten used to seeing Anakin as something other than an apprentice. Do I still have to call you master? He asked, more bite to his question than it should have had. A flush came to Anakin's cheeks betraying the muscle memory that wanted to argue with Obi-Wan about rules and fairness, no matter what the situation. Only if you know your place, Obi-Wan replied, but this time his smile gave off a genuine glow, almost amusement at their old push-and-pull relationship. The courtyard cleared of Padawans. The Jedi now gathered in front of the holographic figure of the most powerful man in the Republic. Bombed, Mace asked Palpatine. How bad? By whom? Intelligence is still coming in, but early reports indicate the scope is a larger catastrophe than Cato Neimoidia has seen in recorded history. It is... A clone commander faded into view. I'm sorry to interrupt, Chancellor, but we have further details. Palpatine nodded and the clone continued. It appears an entire segment of the capital city of Zara has been severed from the foundational struts. It has completely collapsed. Now that was a good part. There wasn't really no kind of action, but the description was excellent. It gave a good point of view of how everything was at the start of the Clone Wars. You have Mace giving a speech to the newest knights, telling them what is expected of them. Then you got Anakin being Anakin, ridiculing everything that is said and already thinking about the rest of his date. Daydreaming about his date with Padme. Obi-Wan in the background staring right at Anakin, hoping he doesn't say or do anything foolish, and an explanation of how Obi-Wan got on the council. Something that I've always wanted to know. Plus the description of Anakin's prosthetic hand answers a bunch of questions that I had. Then it sent us into the next part with Palpatine telling us about the bombing of Cato Nymoria. 
leaving us on a cliffhanger wanting more. And that's what I like to see in a story. Okay, now let's get to the quote for this week. And it comes to us from James Allen. He said, those who would accomplish little must sacrifice little. And those who would achieve much must sacrifice much. This is one of those quotes that just hits me hard. Because of all that I have sacrificed to get where I wanted to go. I miss my children growing up because I was always working. But this is a sacrifice that I was willing to make so that they could have everything that they wanted. Plus years ago, a wise man told me something and stuff. He said that the Bible said, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now I'm not really a religious man, but it makes a lot of sense. A good man leaves enough for his grandchildren. So if I was gonna leave enough that my grandchildren would have some, I needed to make a lot. I have four kids and if each of them only had two kids, that means I need to leave enough for 12 people, my four kids and my eight grandkids, at least enough to help them when they need it. So I had a decision to make. Do I live for the moment or do I live for the future? I chose to sacrifice the moment for the future. I put all my time into my works and it will pay off for their future. That's just what I did. I'm not saying that you have to do the same, but I have met a lot of successful people in my life and all of them will tell you that you will have to sacrifice. That is the cost of success. It might be wearing the same pair of shoes for years or driving a rust bucket of a car, eating ramen noodles every day or living below your means for a while. You will have to sacrifice to achieve your goals. All of your money will go back into your dreams. That's just the way things are, but it will be worth it in the end. And I think that's it for today's episode. Join us next week for another part of this story. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening and may the force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.